Hi, welcome to Fast Talk Femme with Dee Dee Berry and Julie Young. Our guest today is Katerina Nash, a Czech cross-country skier and cyclist who has competed in five Olympic games. She competed in cross-country skiing from 1994 to 2003 and is still active in cycling. As a cross-country skier and mountain biker, she had three top 10 finishes at the Olympic games. And as a cyclocross racer, she has won two world championship medals and several world cups. She is also currently the vice president of the Union Cycliste Internationale, as well as the president of the UCI Athletes Commission. Our discussion with Katerina will be focused on longevity and endurance sport. Hi, Katerina, and welcome to Fast Talk Femme. There are more female athletes in endurance sports than ever before. Yet until recently, female athletes simply followed advice and protocols that have been designed and tested on men. This is rapidly changing, and in our newest release from The Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, we explore the art and science behind coaching female athletes with expert insights and advice from the likes of Dr. Stacy Sims, Allison Freeman, and Lauren Valet. Check out The Craft of Coaching, Module 12, Coaching Female Athletes at Fast Talk Labs today. Today, we're super excited to have Katerina Nash join us. And I've known Katerina for quite a while as we move in similar circles, biking and skiing and Trekkie, the, the town where we live or where Katerina mostly lives, I guess I should say. And uh, in Trekkie terms, we're actually kind of neighbors because I can hop on my gravel bike, take a dirt road through a meadow, past a lake, over a hill and drop down to Katerina's house. But um, we're super excited that Katerina could take some time in between her globe trotting and join us today. And Katerina, welcome to Fast Talk Femme. Thank you for having me. Nice to uh, nice to see you, Julie, and nice to meet you, Didi. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure for me. I've, uh, you know, early in the end of your cross-country career, beginning of your cycling career, I was still competing and hearing a lot about you. So we had sort of like parallel careers early on. And I've been out of the competitive side of the sport for a long time now, but I followed your career and it's a pleasure to finally see you and, and meet you. You've had an amazing career. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. So Katerina, I feel like in our our intro for you, we barely scratched the surface of your career. So just, you know, in, in your words, from your perspective, could you provide some highlights of, of your athletic career and, and just tell us what you've been up to lately? So I am one of those two sport athletes. I started with cross-country skiing, which brought me to Truckee. And then I, um, as time went on, I, I was always riding my bike, but I started racing mountain biking back home in Czech Republic, uh, mid-90s. And then at the, the end of the ski career, which is like early 2000, I, I finally picked bike like kind of like seriously. I was like, okay, this is... I, I want to give cycling a go. So I am five-time Olympian in both cross-country skiing and mountain biking. And uh, let's see, I think I've raced my bike over 20 years now and kind of competed a little bit of everything. But the big focus for me was World Cup, mountain biking, Olympic, kind of world championship with uh, good success on the World Cup level. And then I... Later on, added cyclocross as well. Like at this point, I was probably in my late 20s when I discovered cyclocross. And that was like my new cycling passion for a really long time and had a lot of success at the World Cup and even got two bronze medal at the World Championship in cyclocross. So yeah, a little, little bit of everything, dab a little bit on the road, but more 
locally, regionally. So mainly off-road, a little bit of gravel last few years. But honestly, like trail riding and cyclocross racing, probably my two favorite kind of cycling focuses, so to speak. Katarina, is skiing still a big part of your life, even though you haven't been competing at as high a level? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't consider myself a ski racer by any stretch, uh, but I have continued to ski every single winter and I credit cross-country skiing to injury prevention. I don't know if I would say it as far as like mental health, but just kind of being a well-balanced athlete, because for me, it's very important to change things up. Like I don't need to take a month off and do nothing, but sometimes I just needed to get off that bike and do other exercise. And whether it's cross-country skiing or backcountry skiing, it really fits in that perfect scenario where I can relax away from the cycling, yet I can like work on my general fitness and continue to be like a well-rounded healthy athlete. So yeah, I love, I love skiing. I always, I always hope to do more than I end up doing, but we did have a quite spectacular winter on the West coast. So I probably skied more powder this year in the backcountry than ever before. So I'm pretty happy about that. <laughs> That's amazing. Lots of shoveling came with that winter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Upper body, yeah. rotary strength. So Katarina, we've wanted to have you on this podcast for many reasons, but today we'd love to focus on your remarkable career, the competing at that high level across those disciplines, as well as the length and success of your career. Earlier this year, you took a win at Cactus Cup in the pro division, and then very recently over at the prestigious Cape Epic, took third with your partner, Sofia Gomez. So I would imagine that at the heart of it, it's it's your love of it. But what, what do you think is the recipe for your longevity and success in sport? Honestly, I like in some ways, I just, I haven't found anything else that I'd be so passionate about as sports. I was kind of a young prodigy, just pretty structured training from young age and many kids in that high school period, they choose to just run away from the sport. But for me, it was always something that I thrive on and really enjoyed. And I think change of sports, so going from skiing to cycling, it was also very fresh, you know, like not getting stuck in the rut and doing the same thing over and over has certainly added to my longevity. Same with cycling, you know, I started as a mountain biker, but then I added cyclocross and recently in last few years, I've added endurance or gravel. So it's like, I always need to kind of evolve even in the same sport, so to speak. And in that sense, there was always something new to learn and something to work on. And that's, that's what I always said. Like when I feel like there's nothing new to do or learn, or you just can't improve, that's probably when I stop. But uh, I figure out a way to kind of continue to evolve as the as the industry and the sport evolved. And obviously, sport of mountain biking is very technical and you can keep learning forever and I'll never be done learning. <laughs> so uh, it is a good sport, but I don't think I plan as a young athlete to to go this long. Honestly, I had the same dreams that everybody else. I just wanted to 
win the big medals and see how fast I could be and travel the world. And once I did all of that, I realized it was the lifestyle. It was that feeling of being fit um, that really, I really, really enjoy. So I think personally, it's something I really enjoyed and I'm passionate about, but I also have to add to that equation that I had great opportunities to stay in the sport. I never had any bad injuries, meaning I didn't have to take a lot of time off and I could consistently continue training and putting the work to be successful and be relevant. So, you know, it's not just me, it's the people that are fortunate to be surrounded by, whether it's sponsors, coaches, training partners, and that all just kind of, yeah, evolve into this sweet lifestyle that has been Um, you know, it will be difficult to leave one day and I know I'm approaching the end, but I just made the best out of it. So there's no regrets, no matter what. (laughs) I think Didi and I have, have talked about this. It seems to me like a common denominator among champion athletes is that true growth mindset. Like it's not, it's not something they're just saying. It's truly something they're living in terms of seeing like every day, every training session, every race, it's like this opportunity to learn and improve. I think also like you clearly have a lot of passion for the sport and well, for all the sports you've <laughs> done. Um, and that really shines through. Um, but that that's a really important element as well. Yeah. It's about enjoying yourself and what you're doing. And not every day is going to be perfect. There's so many days that were tough in my career, whether it's a bad race or bad workout or minor injury or lost bike or broke it, like all those things. Right. And I think that's important too. Like, I think a lot of people enter these careers specifically as athletes and they just kind of, they want everything perfect and they picture everything perfect. And then they start not having great events or the success they imagine. And suddenly they're not enjoying themselves or they want to change direction and go do something else. And so it's a, yeah, I think it's like, for me, it's always been interesting to set reasonable expectations, like dream big, but have reasonable expectations and then reevaluate, like, am I, am I doing good job for my sponsors? Am I satisfied with what I'm doing? And are these results what I wanted to do? Or like, I didn't win that world championship medal. Am I just gonna quit and do something else? So it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of fun analytical process as the years go, go by. And I always came back to the fact that I just love to ride my bike. And if I can continue to do it as my job, I will. (laughs) I have to say just quickly, like one thing that really stands out for me about Katerina, just seeing you like as I see you on the cross country trails or I see you out riding the the bike trails, like I always see your smile first. (laughs) Like that's like such a hallmark. (laughs) So, I mean, to me, kind of that speaks to loving it. Yeah, absolutely. I see your ski hat from far away, Julie. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's most important. (laughs) Katerina, based on your experience and your longevity in the sport, do you have any thoughts on how to work with young athletes to maintain the balance and just help them develop as athletes while also keeping it fun and a positive experience? Yeah, I think it's challenging for sure. And I admire a lot of the coaches because I think every athlete is a little like, we're all different and we kind of 
react to things differently. Uh, so that makes it challenging if the coaches are working with bigger groups. But I think once again, just having welcoming environment, having environment where, where the athletes can keep improving, having reasonable expectation and a reasonable kind of support network, uh, so to speak. Like I grew up in Eastern Europe and I had crappy skis and crappy bikes and everything was crappy, but we had it, you know, and the part of the drive to be better was that like, if you ski faster, you might get better skis or you might get carbon poles one day, you know, things that a lot of kids these days, they just come into the sport with a lot of perfect equipment and there's no striving for better equipment because everybody thinks like, well, if you don't have this, you're never even going to be competitive, you know? So yeah, just, just having these little steps to, to chase along the way, I think that's, that's really important. And I was kind of successful young athletes, but then with, you know, as we age, our body change and, and changes in life, like I didn't go straight into the elite ranks with a lot of success. So I think part of my journey is that I didn't have that early, early success in mountain biking. And so every year it was just opportunity to get better, you know, and I felt like even when I got there, I got to the top, but I never won that world championship. I won World Cup and I was all over the podium. But like, I felt like I was always chasing that next goal, so to speak. And that also kept me in the game, you know, and I see some of the young athletes, they come in the sport without expectations and they just kind of had that perfect day. And then they go out and actually learn how to do a lot of things and how to deal with a lot of things that sometimes success comes early. So I, you know, I'm thankful that it took me a long time and sort of kind of progressed naturally from the like top 20 to top 10 to top five. And then I took a while to get that <laughs> World Cup podium for sure. We were chatting about this yesterday, Katarina, and just for everybody, but also for the kids, just social media and Strava, always comparing themselves now, just kind of that's so much more kind of in their face and prevalent. And that's, that's tough. And to your point, like it is so important to understand everybody's individual and their trajectory is so different. And it, one pathway doesn't, like if you're not following that person's pathway, doesn't mean you won't be successful in the sport. So I think you're such a great example of that. Yeah. And once again, I think it's, it's important to be inspired by others. And I think there are a lot of great role models that we have in cycling these days. But I think the important part is like, be inspired by these other athletes. Don't just copy them. Don't just try to be them. You know, you might be five years younger and you can ride 30 hours per week, nor should you, <laughs> you know? Uh, so I think those are the important questions that the that the young athletes have to have to deal with. And I agree with you. Like, I'm so thankful there was no social media. There was no Strava when I was growing up because I, I really enjoy just kind of quietly doing the work and then show up at the field. And I think the athletes these days, like they, they almost have no chance of that. They always know what everybody else is doing. There is that comparison culture. And uh, yeah, I, I hope like, I hope they can all navigate it in the way because it is, it is difficult. It's in front of your face all the time, but they're also like, they're growing up with it. And so hopefully they're developing the skill sets as well to, to navigate that world. 
but it appears to be more difficult right now to be a young athlete. <laughs> yeah, but that is that is a really good point. It's not necessarily all bad. There's a lot of inspiration there too. How much do you use data at this point in your like to inform your training and your recovery versus just intuition? So at this point, I have been sort of coaching myself for probably the last four or five years. So I spent my entire career with a coach, uh, whether it was like early years of skiing. And then when I switched to cycling, I realized I was, I didn't know much about cycling training. You know, I tried to adapt the cross-country ski training to cycling, but the they're two different sports, you know, in that sense. So early on, I recognized that I needed help there. And then I worked with the same coach for probably 16 years of my career for a really, really long time. And I, I learned a lot, but I also got to the point that I was like an older, mature athlete that I was like, I need to, I need to do this on my own. I, I don't want to follow strict regimen anymore. And I should be able to to do my own training, you know, and there are days that I wish that I had that, like, I could call Dean and be like, what should I do? (laughs) But honestly, at this point, a lot of my training is just based on feeling intuitions. I use the, I use the science a little bit and I use some of the data. I always look at things later on, but I've never raced on power meter. I always raced on my feeling, whether it was 30 minutes, two hours, five hours, like I've never followed a number. Uh, I might have watched my hard monitor, uh, but barometers came in pretty late in my career and I, I have used it for training and I think it's super valuable tool, but I honestly, like half my bikes don't even have barometer and I'm perfectly fine with it because I, at this point I will, I will use my, (laughs) my knowledge of my feeling and myself and my body during those races and a lot of the training days as well. So that's, uh, it's, we had this, we met with Trent Stellingworth yesterday and he's a physiologist and nutritionist. And we were asking him, he was talking about overtraining and reds and just the, the feedback mechanisms he uses. And and I think, he like really advocates using all of the feedback mechanisms like heart rate, perceived exertion, power. But I think those new to the sport have, have gone all in on the data a lot seem to have and I, and kind of thrown out like the sensations. And to your point, like in race situations, it's, you got, you need those, you need to rely on that and understand that. Cause I think heart rate can be, skewed by all those external factors in a race situation. So that's not super valid. And then, you know, as a dirt rider using power, that's probably not great either. Yeah. I mean, I think as cycling keeps evolving, like we're actually quite far ahead of a lot of other sports. And I'm talking about sports that there's variation in conditions, right? Like, so hundred meter sprint, it's easy to compare times. It always will be uh, there might be a little bit of wind, you know, in effect. But like, unless you're racing on track, on the track, uh, cycling's always been this strange discipline because the whether it's windy, muddy, wet, like there's so many variables that will influence the time. So time doesn't mean anything in cycling, so to speak. So I think 
as soon as parameters were introduced, and now we have this really accurate measurement that people can really rely on now. Ten years ago, not so much. You know, parameters on the dirt didn't really work that well. But I think a lot of the technology keeps improving and they're more and more accurate. And I think that that really helps cycling to build more scientific training programs. And I am thankful for that. And I think a lot of people can benefit from that. It's just where I'm at in my career. Like, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I don't, I don't know a lot of my numbers, you know, <laughs> like I just... I just I just know myself, and that's that's really all it matters. But um, I am excited that cycling does have a kind of jump on a lot of the other sports, just because like running or basketball or there there are a lot of sports they would love to use the data, but their measuring device it's not quite accurate, you know. So we're pretty lucky to have all this all this knowledge that obviously is is being used. And once again, like it's. It's all about the fine balance, you know, like I think it's always nice to have more to know about your body, but you also have to have the right approach to like be able to handle all this data and know what to do with it, you know. So uh, it can be it can be overwhelming for young or older athletes to have uh, all the devices. And I have, you know, I'm, I've got my Garmin watch uh, and I've been kind of monitoring my heart rate variability and heart rate and like last probably six months. And that's something I've never done before as far as my sleep and that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's interesting, but does it like make me get up, check the numbers and like run my day based on that? Most, most, most days, not really. It's just, it's just in addition to how I feel or what I need to do or what, phase of, you know, am I in the race season or am I just training? Like I might be a little tired, but if I'm just training, that's natural. Like sometimes you have to push through, but it's different in the race season when you, you know, like I do better if I come into races rested. So uh, once again, it's just a tool addition to that feeling. And I, I enjoy, I, I like I'm enjoying being the boss now, making that decision and stand by it, like believe my gut and course i question it every now and then but for most parts it's working out because i'm 45 year old and still racing at very high level so makes me pretty happy (laughs) well i think too you're fortunate because you do have this just depth of experience so you have incredible perspective and like you kind of know like at this point like just hitting your power numbers and training isn't gonna guarantee you a performance you know so i think you can kind of use use it all appropriately and i think that's kind of what you hope to instill with people that are coming into the sport is just kind of keeping that perspective. You kind of can't go all in. It's like I said, just hitting your power numbers and training doesn't necessarily guarantee you a performance. It's all those other components of performance. And I think you, of course you have this, this incredible like wealth of experience. So you have that perspective on it. Yeah. And I think my coaching was good in the sense that my coach helped me understand you know like of course there are many times that I was like oh did I do okay in this workout (laughs) you know uh I I needed that somebody validate the effort but many times I would just be like oh my god like I'm tired I did good job I probably just did fine and whether that was like 10 or 20 watts below the prescribed number like you know I was fine with that so once again, like everybody approaches it a little differently, but I think it's crucial if the if the coaches can like not just 
give you the tool, but like give you the give you the learning why I'm doing this workout and what should come out of it and just understanding the workout and the process. And I think that's, yeah, that's where I definitely benefited from working with my coach where now I can make these decisions and be confident about that decision and not, not worry, not question it, not having another person analyze it. So like you said, just having those good people around you through the process like that partnership and that collaboration, yeah, yeah. super valuable. I think going back to your earlier questions, like what can young athletes do? I think is just, you do want to surround yourself with good, good people. And that's sometimes hard to recognize when you're a teenager, right? But I think we all have that, that gut feeling about people and about environment. And then if it's not working out, just have courage to change it up. You know, change, change is hard, but it's also like, it's your life, it's your career. And uh, find new training group, try a new coach. Yeah, all those things. It's uh, it, it's going to happen if people do stick around for a long time. You will always be tinkering, whether it's the equipment or the training or something. And it's a it's quite engaging process. So don't don't get stuck in the rut and unhappy in some scenario that doesn't work out for you. Lactate threshold, metabolic profile, and VO2 max are key testing metrics for endurance athletes. Whether you live in Colorado or across the globe, you can get the benefit from inside scientific monitoring and physiological testing for performance and health. At Rocky Mountain Devo, we offer both in-person and remote testing. Contact us today at RockyMountainDevo.com. Hey, Katarina, I just wanted to just back up a little bit, talk about your development as a young athlete, because now we're becoming more considerate and mindful of the physical changes for young female athletes, which can heavily influence performance. And you had, you had alluded to this, you know, starting young and, and I know you said you didn't necessarily have fantastic results right off the bat, but I think those, those young girls that they're, they have a certain body type and they're just killing it. And then their bodies change with puberty and then they, they have to adjust to those changes. Did you, do you remember experiencing anything like that as you transitioned through puberty? Oh, absolutely. I think most, most healthy young athletes will go through that period where, yeah, you just this little scrawny, strong kid if you've been athletic with your family from young age and everything seems fine, you're climbing hills and then like puberty hits and like I increase my training and I... I didn't mess up with my diet in any way, but I still put on weight, you know, and I think even back then I understood that like you need fuel to to push your body through the training. Um, I just always looked for like good food, but always enough food. So I never ran my body to the point that some of the young athletes just try to be so skinny because they're trying to look like somebody else or somebody makes them believe that if you're this skinny, you might be better athlete. So it's like, it's going back to that, like, look for our inspiration, learn as much as you can, but always, always, always be mindful of your own body, of your own body type. There's just some things we can change, you know, like I'm pretty short and muscular. Like I always wanted to be tall and skinny, you know, but like we can have it all. And uh, what we do have is like figure out a way what that body that you have can give you um, 
But I do remember that being pretty difficult period because we all just kind of put on a little bit of weight and it's, it's, it's a big change. And then as you start aging, there's more changes. So it's just one of the first <laughs> kind of uh, reality check that uh, you, you have to keep, just like you learn about your training, you have to keep learning about your body and respecting it and take care of it and, and have good nutrition. Don't try to like not eat just because your body just changed in that period. That's like the worst thing to do. So just, yeah, just keep leading healthy lifestyle and those hormones will settle down eventually and we all just start leaning out again. <laughs> some point and um but yeah i think like healthy healthy lifestyle is is crucial and having having once again good people that will they'll help you navigate some people do need more more attention during that that period uh to navigate through that and uh it is it is difficult time yeah and for me it's been really long time ago so it's hard to remember all the details but I do remember just kind of suddenly having big butt and I was like how am I gonna ski with this big butt <laughs> you know <laughs> and then I still skied fine and that's just how it goes that's what our bodies do we just evolve and uh it's good to like learn what the body can do rather than like change the body in some drastic way obviously there's little changes that we can do you get more muscular again once you move past that area. Like I used to have like a, I look at pictures and I had pretty chubby cheeks and now I have like really skinny face, just like my mom. And I'm like, I could use some of that fat in my face, you know? So I guess, I guess we're just never happy <laughs> when we're, when we're in it, but it's not the end of, it's not the end of the sporting career when that happens. It's just a chapter. That's really good advice. Now that you're competing and winning events at 45, though, have there been any unique training program adaptations that you've made, like just to overcome challenges or injuries as you've aged? Yes, absolutely. And one thing that I've, I've had to kind of change is the intensity. So I always train high quality, uh, not quantity. So I, I did a lot of like a lot of kind of intervals uh, to prepare me for anywhere from, you know, 45 minute cyclocross race to sub two hour mountain bike race. So yeah, I spent a big part of my career kind of working on that top and high intensity with endurance. Like I think at some point I realized that my an hour and a half endurance just wasn't there once I started to become a cyclist, uh, which sort of makes sense because cross-country skiing is much shorter. So it's anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. So I was excellent at short track. I love short track because I just could go really hard for 25 minutes, but the longer endurance was something that I've actually had to work really, really hard at and to get better from that early 20s to probably late 20s. It took me quite some time. And yeah, I kind of dialed everything in in the 30s. And then late 30s, things started to change again. And suddenly my recovery just got slower and slower and slower, meaning that I just couldn't have two, three good workouts midweek and then expect to be successful at the races on the weekend. So essentially, as I age, I start skipping the harder workouts and replacing them with 
just endurance rides. And I would say the last few years, I really don't do any intervals anymore. <laughs> so I try to challenge myself, like whether it's group rides or even Strava segments or something like that. But I, I hardly ever go out for like a specific interval workout these days. And that's also where I'm at in my career. Like I've done too many intervals. So uh, like emotionally, I can't get too excited about it. And once again, I'm okay with that, you know, but I really, I really started to kind of see inability to recover if I tried to do too many intervals or like the high end intervals. I could probably do a lot of like tempo, but if I try to do like it all out or lactate threshold intervals, it's my recovery is much, much slower these days. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, careful about that. I also do a lot of long distance racing where those shorter intervals are really not all that beneficial. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my training is a lot less structured, but I do try to kind of move through all the different zones because I do think it's still very crucial to, to know what it feels like to push yourself completely, you know, like how are you going to like sprint at the finish of the race if you have not put yourself in that feeling of end of a long race and now you actually have to crank it up and sprint. So, um, yeah, it's less structured, but I do try to spend a little bit of time in each each of those training zones to, to kind of prepare my body for the race effort. Yeah. And what about strength training? Do you... Like, have have you been an athlete that's used or implemented strength training? And do you do more of it now that you've aged? Or Yeah, I always was kind of cocky. I was like, I don't go to gym because I'm a cross-country skier. And I can ski every winter for a few months and I'll be fine. And, uh, and I have a silly ways to kind of add strength training to my basic life, so to speak. Like, I don't take the cart at the grocery shopping. You know, I always carry the basket and, like, silly stuff like that. But uh, as I do age, I I have started hitting the the gym a little bit more just because I wasn't feeling as good and like uh, not as strong and also like injury prevention as far as mountain biking goes. So I might go to a gym or I just do kind of little sort of workouts at home. And that that's really more what I just try to add in. So I've I've never been like a gym person, like lifting like max. It's more like repetitive kind of back going back to that cross-country ski training where you just kind of do like a circuit strength training with lighter weights and just kind of repetitive and that kind of stuff but I do credit a lot of my healthy mountain biking years to cross-country skiing and that kind of strength you build on snow Backcountry skiing doesn't translate great. <laughs> so I have to, I have to get back a little bit more of my Nordic skis next, next winter when we don't have so much powder. <laughs> Katarina, we've t- we've talked a lot about like the physical prep for for your training and across your career. How about like were there? Did you work on the mental side of sport? Like anything kind of structured or concerted work in that area? Honestly, not a whole lot, although I have to say that I think back in my early years and kind of the most competitive part of my race career, I think we were able to navigate through that with also the coach. Like, I think we asked the coaches back then for a lot. (laughs) I think athletes these days 
the top level athletes, they kind of have a lot of different coaches and mental coaches and nutritionists. They have a variety of people to really dial in their training plan and nutrition plan. And I think um, I just had enough good people around me that I, if I needed, I could ask questions. And that wasn't just my coach. It could be, you know, like my teammates or team manager. Just sometimes I just needed extra conversation. I couldn't quite process things in my own head. And so I would reach out. But I've never... I've never spoken to sports psychologists, not because I don't believe in it. I just never had the opportunity to try, nor did I have the need to try it. I just managed to process things on my own or with a little bit of help of the coach or somebody in my life. So it's, to me, it's like hard to, like, I definitely don't judge it because I think I I would like to try it uh, at times and have that experience. I just, I just don't. Uh, but I think it could be valuable uh, because we can all get pretty stuck in our own head. Like, you know, for a little bit there, I was like not having great starts. And that's crucial in both mountain biking and cyclocross. And like the more I focus on it, the more the worse it got, you know, because then you too focus on getting in that pedal and it just messes you up. And so... It was always nice to have an outside perspective of like, well, like, yeah, it's important, but like, really, wouldn't you rather finish well than start well, you know, because there's a lot of people that can start really well, but <laughs> they can't finish well. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I would rather, you know, win the race than the whole shot. And after that, I was just like, don't worry about that start. Like, there's time to move up. And then, yeah, I just didn't fuss over it as much. And it's just kind of started to click and, and I continue to like practice that pedal, like getting in that pedal, you know, I continue to work on it, but I just didn't like in my head, didn't obsess about it. So, um, I can imagine for like a lot of scenarios, it's always helpful to talk to somebody else who can kind of steer you into a different mindset. And I think that's enough for me to kind of, uh, move past that, but, uh, maybe not every athlete can and that that professional help might be very, very, very good for them. I actually love to use you as an example with kids that I coach because I loved watching you race at the UCI World Cups in cyclocross. Because so often maybe you didn't have a good call up or maybe not not the start you were looking for, but you would just gradually make your way up to win. Like it was so impressive. And I just I love I love using you as an example in that respect. Like it's not, it's not the end of the game if you don't have a great start. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it helps. Like it does help to have a good start, right? Like you put yourself in better fighting position, but it is, it is not the end of the day. And like I said, I've I've watched a lot of people just fly off the start and like five minutes later, they can go as hard, you know? So it's like, once again, we're all different body types and we have to figure out how can you get your body your ability to the finish the fastest you can uh, without comparing yourself to others. But it's tricky because obviously the start in both uh, mountain biking and cyclocross can be crucial because you can get stuck behind a crash or whatnot, and it, it, it can really negatively influence your day the rest of the day, so the rest of the race. We've talked about this in just like little bits here and there and generally, but you have had this long career. And so you have a unique perspective in terms of change. So like in terms of training practices, 
Are there things you can identify that you've seen change across the span of your career? I mean, that may include like nutrition. Again, you've touched on psychology. I think everything is just evolving, you know, like the science is like we have better access to science. People understand science specifically targeted for athletes, whether that's nutrition or the training. So I think in general, it's like, it's really cool the science to play a big role because I think maybe there were people that just kind of needed different type of training that wasn't available back then. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you go warm up for half an hour and then we're all going to do this interval together and then you cool down and then you're done, you know. But maybe some athletes needed to go for a five-hour ride and others needed two-hour ride, you know, and I think that's what's so cool about sports science these days. Like there's better understanding and I think we'll continue learning forever, honestly. Um, just just like the other science, right? So the influence, scientific influence is definitely much bigger. And in some respect, it, once again, it can be good and bad. You know, sometimes like some people don't really relate very well with too many numbers or too much science. Like for me, it's kind of like, I just need to be outside and I don't need to have a set plan every single day. You know, some days I just go for a group ride and I don't really know. It might go fast and may not. And I'm okay with either one scenario, you know, because maybe the next day if I need some intensity, then I just can do it on my own. So uh, I, I became very like flexible athlete and I will sometimes search more for a community than the perfect workout because I think I always been used to doing that perfect workout on my own rather than in some group setting. So, you know, once again, this works for me, but I'm not saying that young athletes should wake up every morning and be like, what should I do today? <laughs> you know, just because that's what I'm kind of doing these days. So hopefully I answered your question there. <laughs> yeah, you did. Because I think, I think what I took away too is just that evolution has allowed for a more individualized approach in the training. Absolutely. And I think it also turned coaching into really good business where back in the day, like people couldn't find coach easily. You know, there are a few, few kind of coaches and you could never be coached by somebody who's coaching a World Cup racer. Like that's available nowadays. And I think that's, that's important because people can try a World Cup approach training plan if they, if they want to, you know, it's not, it's not some kind of secret, you know, it's out there available and there will be people that are willing to read enough about the sports science and they'll figure it out on their own. And there are others that would rather pay for their training for somebody to come up with the training and give them that perfect training to, to prepare for the race. And I think that's what's so cool about training as well. It's like, ultimately, it's like, it is the motivation. We have this event that we want to do well at, and it's that preparation. It's that lead out to that. Like everybody who signs up for coaching typically has something on their mind, whether it's a big ride or a big event or some kind of challenge, and they want to get prepared. And I think that that's the cool thing about it. Like you don't want to show up unprepared. You want to do your best and you're taking it seriously and you letting somebody else to help you. And that's, that's pretty cool. And across the span of, of your career, have you seen, and I'm sure you have, but an increase in opportunity for female athletes? Absolutely. I mean, I, <laughs> I benefited from the very first all women's mountain bike team that started in 2002. 
it was the Luna Pro Team sponsored by Cliff Bar, and we we were the first one, and we inspired many other teams in Europe that turn into all women's team, you know. And so the opportunities have grown, and it's been it's been fun, you know. It's been fun to even watch women's road racing get the attention that those riders have deserved for a really, really long time. You know, I come from off-road where, like, mountain biking has been pretty much equal since the 90s, you know, because uh, we had people that fought for it and brought the, you know, the World Cup was always same courses, always same location. It was the same prize money since the 90s. Then cyclocross was a little behind, but once again, there was a group of us that we just, we came from mountain biking, we were like, hang on, like, you're going to pay us one-tenth of the men earning? And, like, yeah, it took a while, but, like, we're there now. Like, cyclocross equal across everything. And so watching road racing last few years, it's just been so cool to even, like, have road racing, women's road racing on TV, right? Like, it's pretty neat to be able to watch it, and hopefully we'll be watching the entire races <laughs> soon. So always a little bit more work to do. So I think. I honestly think there's no better time to be a female athlete than right now, but I also know that we can make it even better. And that's, you know, that's, that's something we have to keep working on because I think it's the top, top athletes that have good opportunities, but not everybody quite yet on the women's side. And we lose a lot of young talent because they have no team to ride for and they have no no way to just turn it into full-time job and so that would be nice to to see uh, if we can make more improvements on that side yeah i agree um so so this is a good segue i wanted to ask you about the work you're doing with the uci is that female specific or like what what are the initiatives that you're working on there i have a few different roles so i really kind of dab in everything from rule changes to decisions that will shape the sport in the future. Like any other governing bodies, a lot of things get planned far, far ahead, you know? So we're always talking about improvements and whether it's, you know, heavily focused on women cycling or cycling in general or globalization of cycling around the world. Like it's just a little bit of everything, even like bike infrastructure, solidarity, you know, using a bicycle as a mean of transportation. Like there's just so much that belongs under UCI that like, I think most people have no idea because they're, they kind of focus on the, on the racing part. And that, that's also fine because that's really like also the one most exciting kind of part that people will follow. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of things and I'm, I'm part of few commissions that, are sort of part of the change and planning for the future and constantly making sure that, yeah, we have more opportunities for women, but we also have more opportunities for riders from different continents than the traditional cycling continents. And we have uh, training centers. There's a new training, UCI training center coming to Canada. And so like all those, all those decisions being part of that is, it's been really cool. So I hadn't heard about the new UCI training center coming to Canada. Can you tell us about that? I don't know the details. I think it's in Bramon. It's a new track. It's actually a repurposed uh, track from the Atlanta Olympics. Well, my my son raced Canadian Nationals on it 
two weekends ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I'm familiar with the track, but um, but I didn't realize it was going to be a UCI training center. Yeah, it's one of the satellite training center, which uh, typically I don't know if you followed much of what's happening in uh, Switzerland, but typically they will yeah. host training camp for. Um, different athletes and just give them opportunity to sort of be based in Europe, go to the events and uh, become professional cyclists. And there's been a lot of, lot of successful athletes moving on to professional teams that were able mm -hmm. to kind of have this experience. So yeah, it's pretty cool that uh, I think there's another in South Africa and now North America gets their own. So it's pretty, pretty exciting. That's yeah. great. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Yeah, it seems like those training centers provide so much opportunity and just give us that sense of team and belonging to those individuals. Yeah, and it's not just the athletes, honestly. There's classes for mechanics or sport directors and a lot of that stuff uh, happens at the training center as well. So it's just like, uh, yeah, just continue to grow cycling. And for those that either don't have those opportunity on their continent or in their country, because I think UCI has around 200 affiliated national federations right now. So that's a quite large number. So cycling does happen all around the world. Um, and not every country has those opportunities for their athletes or, or you know, commissars or in whichever way you want to get involved in cycling. So, Hi, listeners. We're so excited that you're here to check out Fast Talk Femme a new podcast series that's all about the female endurance athlete. Here at Fast Talk Labs, we pride ourselves on being the pioneers of information and education in the endurance sports world for both athletes and coaches. If you like what you hear today, check out more at fasttalklabs.com. Katarina, as we start wrapping things up and kind of start kind of going back to just the reflection on your athletic career, what, what is the athletic achievement that you're most proud of? I think winning like a World Cup, both mountain biking and cyclocross, that was, that was something that took a lot of work and it really like, it took me many years. I think I was a uh, quite consistent podium racer for many, many years, but winning the big one was just kind of, it just was not happening. <laughs> I was always second, third, then and I still really, really valued those results and I was really excited, but like everybody wants to win at least once. <laughs> so uh, when it when it did finally happen, um, it just, yeah, I just kind of felt incredible. I was just like, kind of, I wasn't even surprised. I was just like, I was just thankful that I could have that like really good day and put it all together because I think I'm, I'm like the type of athlete, like a lot of lot of good things have to come together, have that amazing result. Like I've had a lot of good results, but that world cup or world championship medal, that that's just, that's just a special effort, you know? Um, and so when, when it did happen, it, it felt really good. And I was super proud of that. I, and I still am in a way. And then the other one probably would be fifth at the Rio Olympics. Like I was kind of in the middle position and then two Canadians came by and they just were faster that day. But I was there on their wheel. I had the opportunity to earn the medal, but they just were better, you know? And I, I finished that race with like, I was so close. I was so close, but I did my best. And if my best is not Olympic medal, that's just it. And it was 
Yeah, it was kind of interesting realization because I, I was close to the medal. I, I didn't get it, but I was really proud of my race and, and kind of appreciate that day for, for a really long time because I did, I did my best and that, that was, you know, that was a good ride. So I've, I've heard you talk about just emphasizing you know, effort as opposed to like it being kind of this lucky thing and just, you know, it's all your work and your persistence and, and being like proud of that effort, you know, at the end of the day, like to me, that's the most important thing. Absolutely. And I I don't think that was always the way I approached it. I think I kind of recognized that later in my career where I was always the hardest on myself. Like everybody around me thought I did good, but I knew I wanted to do better. And that was both like, what kept me, that was the thing that kept me going and wanting to do more and improving from year to year. But it was also like, just kind of like, I was down on myself many times throughout my career, you know, because I just wanted a better result. So as I got a little bit older and like every time I stepped on that World Cup podium, I was like, you need to appreciate this. This is a really big deal. Like there are people that will race the World Cup their entire career and they won't even ever get top 10. And I've had many World Cup podiums. And just because I wanted to like, well, I didn't want to be third after a while. I wanted to win it. You're like, so uh, it was nice to like have that sort of like a, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you would call it life cycle, but or like a career cycle and, and starting to recognize that like, you can win it all. You will not win it all. <laughs> And you have to like appreciate, like if you did not make a mistake and if you prepare well and executed the race well, and if the placing was whatever, sixth, like you have to appreciate that effort. And so that that's kind of neat because that, that definitely came with some maturity for me later in my career. And is there a race that stands out as your favorite, like a venue? I definitely have few. I've never been good with like pick one thing and you know, so I hope I don't get stuck on some island because I like variety but um, I'll probably give you two uh, one of them will be more local to our region uh, and it's the Downeville Classic that is returning this summer I'm really excited about that and then the other one uh, would be BC Bike Race just amazing mountain bike specific amazing trails fun community I've always enjoyed racing that one. So that's a mountain bike stage race. And then there's just many, many other races that like I enjoyed or I did really well at or something like that. But as far as like going somewhere and racing my bike, I I definitely get very excited about those two races. And they're both on my schedule this year. So Well, they're both in beautiful countryside. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Katerina, to wrap up, if you were to give three pieces of advice to an aspiring endurance female athlete, what would they be? So I think we covered some of that early on, but just to summarize it, I think it would be uh, set reasonable, achievable expectations, find a good environment of people you want to ride your bike with and travel with and have fun. That's great. Hey, it was, it was really a pleasure speaking with you and uh, good luck this summer at BC bike race. Should be a great event. Um, I'd love to do it one day. I <laughs> so. I just highly recommend it. If the opportunity comes up, it's a, it's a good one. So we appreciate you sharing all your wisdom. Yeah. Great to see you, Katerina. Yeah. Nice to see you. Hopefully we'll maybe see you for some crest skiing. <laughs> yeah. Or once we see dirt in. Exactly. Truckee. Exactly. So yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, 
Have a good day. Thanks. Great, Katarina. Thanks. That was another episode of Fast Talk Femme. Subscribe to Fast Talk Femme wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk Femme are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback and any thoughts you have on topics or guests that may be of interest for you. Get in touch via social. You can find Fast Talk Labs on Twitter and Instagram at Fast Talk Labs, where you'll also find all our episodes. You can also check them out on the web at fasttalklabs.com. For Katarina Nash and Julie Young, I'm Dee Dee Berry. Thank you for listening. <laughs>